Thank you, all the musicians, choir, and instruments. We're grateful for you and grateful to be in the house of the Lord raising his praises today. And we talked about how if God is for us, who can be against us? So I'm going to read this text from Mark chapter 2, and I want you to identify how God is for us as we go through the text, all right? We're talking about discussions with skeptics that Jesus had recorded there in the Gospels, and today we're looking at how Jesus breaks a few eggs along the way to bring in what is really new. And this is where he talks about this and explains it. So we're in Mark chapter 2. I'm starting with verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus is introducing the new thing he's doing. Very exciting. This new wineskin he's talking about. I was fooling around yesterday in the yard and I found this red bucket full of sand. And the boys were back there, my grandsons, and I thought, you know, they'd probably enjoy playing with this sand, but this bucket's kind of a small bucket and they can't really get into it other than just kind of reach into it. So I took all the sand and I poured it into a tub that you see there. And the tub is much larger, and it also accomplished my purpose because both of them could get in the tub, see? <laughs> and so when they were covered with sand, I hosed them down and uh, shook out all their clothes. But the point is this. The old container did not suit the new thing God was doing. He wanted Jews and Gentiles in the same place. That new wine didn't fit the red bucket. It had to go in a new container. And so Jesus is doing something new here. Now, Jesus doesn't use the word new a lot in his teaching. You would think 
had come up a lot, but really Mark records only six times where Jesus said the word new in the NIV, and four of them are right here in this text. He did talk about the new covenant in my blood. And in John, he talked about a new commandment I give unto you. But here he talks about this new thing that he is doing. Now, the Pharisees and John's disciples have laws about fasting for, these, for those who follow them. And Jesus' disciples are not following this protocol. It is a tradition among them. It is well entrenched in generations. And they are concerned that he's not following the laws about fasting. And he seems to be breaking them without any real excuse for doing so. The same is true with the laws that protect and keep the Sabbath holy in their culture and traditions. Jesus breaks them, and it doesn't appear that the ox is in the ditch. It's not like it's an emergency. In fact, he is saying that these regulations they have introduced are not binding on him and his disciples, and he's challenging the very authority by which they were created. And in the process of doing this, he says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. A startling assertion that he is Lord over the Sabbath. And he says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. I want you to think about that statement. The Sabbath was made for man. I want you to think about it, okay? See, man was created on the sixth day. He created him in the image of God, male and female, on the sixth day. He gave humans dominion over the planet on the sixth day. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his labor, and the Sabbath was born later on the seventh day. Man was made first, and then the Sabbath was made. The Sabbath was introduced before sin came into the human family. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like life is exhausting. And I know for many people life is difficult, and maybe it's difficult for you right now, and maybe it's painful, and you feel that you're running a long race and you're tired. God knew when he gave human stewardship of the planet, when he put them in the garden, when he created them in relationships, that it was going to be difficult and sometimes painful and sometimes exhausting to carry out these responsibilities in the world, and humans would need rest, even before they sinned. Rest not because they sinned, but because they were flesh, and in the weakness of the flesh that needs nourishment and continual attention and nutrition and rest, God created the Sabbath day. And the one perfect human being, Jesus of Nazareth, when he came into this world, though he had no sin, he still had to sleep and he needed rest and sometimes he had to pull away from the frantic pace of his ministry and all the folks that surged around him and get in a quiet place alone so he could rest. I understand that Rest is a hard thing to 
come by for many adults in these United States. If I were to ask this group, how many of you have a hard time getting the sleep that you need? Do you know how many people would raise their hand? Yeah. 40% of adults in America are getting less than seven hours of sleep a night, and they are walking around sleep-deprived, according to the woman who wrote The Sleep Revolution, Ariana Huffington. We are sleep-deprived and therefore more irritable. We're not getting the rest that we need. God knew when he created the Sabbath that we needed rest. Every week, that seventh day rolls around. It is to be a different day for the busy and tired humans that toil in the gardens and cities of the world. The day of worship is to be a day of rest. That's what the word means. Sabbath means to cease, to rest, to desist from exertion. God instructed the Hebrews to rest every seventh day. He instructed them to give the land a rest every seventh year. And after seven of those sevens, they had a year of jubilee. It was like a new beginning where the slaves went free. This principle of rest that started with creation and before the fall was woven into the commandments of the Lord and the law brought down by Moses from Mount Sinai. And so the fourth commandment was, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work neither you nor your son or daughter nor your male or female servant nor your animals nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The roots of the rest in the seventh day are in your constitution and character as a human being on the planet. You, my friend, need the break. You need the rest. And so the Sabbath was made to address that need. God was doing humans a favor when he set aside that seventh day. He was giving us something that we genuinely and deeply needed, a day to rest. Now, you go from creation to Mount Sinai to the time of Jesus, and what has happened? Well, it's been reversed. The Sabbath is no longer for man. Now man is for the Sabbath. He labors under the laws and enslavement of the Sabbath regulations. It's gone upside down somehow. And Jesus is coming to go back to the original intent of the law that the Sabbath is for man. And to reinterpret and re-energize that truth and to liberate it from all of the regulations that hold man down and make him a slave to the system of law 
that was Judaism. These disciples had grown up all their lives taking off the seventh day, that Sabbath day. Jesus was the Lord of the Sabbath, he says here. He was the ideal man, man as God created men to be. So he himself was Lord of the Sabbath, just as he is Lord of all other commandments. As Christians, we believe that our Lord is above the law, that the law flows from the character and love of God, and that God is for us in the law, but that people are more important than regulations and rules. So there are two things that you ought to see in the text. Number one, the Lord is above the law, and number two, People are more important than the regulations and the rules. If you hold that in your heart, you'll be more like Jesus. And you'll reflect him more faithfully in your world. After Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, rose from the dead on the first day of the week, the believers began to celebrate the day of worship at the beginning of every week. That's why we're gathered here on the first day of the week. It's not Saturday, is it? It's Sunday. It's not the seventh day. It's the first day. And some people have such a time with that. They go back to the Ten Commandments and they say it's the seventh day that was made holy. You're not worshiping if you worship on the first day. And they send condemnation on our heads because we're not keeping the seventh day. But our Lord is the Lord of the Sabbath. And he's not only the Lord of the Sabbath, he's Lord of the first day and all seven of them. He is Lord 24-7. He sanctified every day so that every day is holy. All of life is holy for the worshiper who worships with his life. We worship with our lives seven days a week. We honor God with what we say and what we do in every day, whether it's Tuesday, Wednesday, Saturday, or Sunday. Every day belongs to him all 365 days of the year. They are his, and he is Lord of the Sabbath. So we forward then to our own time. And every culture and generation has its unique challenges. But we are a generation that is truly plugged in. All right? We are connected in a way that no generation has been connected before. And some of that is really great. I get to talk to my son in Lubbock every single day. I talk to my daughter and my granddaughters in Florida, and I love it. I love the fact that I got that cell phone and I can connect to them, that we've got our FaceTime, we can even see one another and have conversations and show what we're doing. It's great. And then there's that human being who has forgotten that they need rest and they never unplug. They don't ever stop. They're always at work 24-7. They're never free of the obligations of labor, never psychologically or physically backing off and taking some time just for themselves. Instead, they are continually on. They're always on call, and they are not practicing the principle of the Sabbath day. Huffington says, 
in her book that good rest transforms our productivity, our sense of well-being, and our capacity for joy. I want you to think about it now. Good rest transforms your productivity, your sense of well-being, and your capacity for joy. See, I believe the Sabbath was made for man so he could be more fulfilled, more joyful, more happy, have a greater sense of God's presence in his life, enjoy his relationships more fully. What we need to do, brothers and sisters, this is important. We need to recapture the idea that the Sabbath was made for man and somehow apply it personally in my life and give myself permission to turn off the cell phone, you know, and enjoy a day apart from all the demands that plague me seven days a week. God knew you could do your work on six days. You can get it done on six days, brother, and you can take a break. And guess what? Your kids will be happier, your wife will be happier, your relationships will be better, you'll be more joyful, you'll feel more fulfilled, and even you're probably going to be more productive if you'll take advantage of the Sabbath that was made for you. I'm feeling this deeply. Not because I'm great at practicing it, all right? I was on the phone late last night. I'm afraid to turn it off. It's not easy for me. It means humans have this drive, and many of us get our sense of worth from our work. But you are more than your work, and the Sabbath is a reminder of the most important things in your life, your God, your spouse, your family, and these values that we hold dear. The Sabbath was made for you. And you don't have to practice it on any particular day. Some of you work every Sunday. Maybe those folks are all absent today, all right? And they've got to worship at another time. It's not the particular day, whether it's the seventh or the first day. It's practicing this principle, knowing that the Sabbath was made for you. And rest itself is good. There is a rest that remains for the people of God, Hebrews declares, and that rest is found in faith in Jesus Christ. So we begin the walk of rest and the revival of rest as we rest in Christ himself, who is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now what we're learning about the Sabbath, the Sabbath was made for man applies, in fact, to all of the law brought down from Mount Sinai. All of this is for us. All of this is on our side in order to do us a favor, in order to keep us from being enslaved and in bondage to passions and desires that are outside of our own best interests. God gave us the law, and every one of those laws is for us. It is for us. The word about coveting is for you, so you won't poison your heart with things other people have. The word about lying, that's for you, so people can trust you in the relationships. That about stealing, that's for you, so you can respect other people's property and they respect for you. 
yours. That, is, that law you see is for you in every dimension. And we forget that. And Jesus is teaching. He's reminding us. Look, the Sabbath was made for man. We understand its original intent. They needed a new wineskin because the old Judaism had gotten so hard and crusty it could not receive this truth that Jesus was illustrating by breaking some eggs. He was breaking the rules. And he was doing so to help them understand the old Judaism cannot receive this new thing. Jesus talks in that parable about the publican and the Pharisee who go to the temple to pray. And he has the Pharisee going and praying, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other men, adulterers and thieves and, oh, even like this tax collector here. And then he says, I fast twice a week. That's what he tells God. He tells God, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all. He tells God in his prayer that he's been fasting and that he gives tithes. And the parable is introduced by saying Jesus was addressing people who were righteous in themselves. There was a self-righteousness on them. Here's what happened to the to, to the Sabbath law and the fasting law. There was only one fast that was actually required by the law, as I understand it. It was on the Day of Atonement. But the Sabbath regulations and the fasting regulations had all grown up around the law. And Jesus is introducing this new wineskin and saying this. You don't get right with God by keeping rules doesn't work that way. The rules are given for your good. They're there to bless you. But you don't get right with God by keeping rules and regulations. It is not by even your religious works that you are made right with God. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. But it's according to His, what? His grace. That he saves us. The purpose of the law was to lift us and to help us. It was a privilege for us to have the law so that we might live more fully and freely and be better companions and and worshipers of God in this world in which we live. It was given for us. It was perverted into something that was used ostensibly to help people get right with God. But the law could never do that. By the works of the law, no one will ever be justified in the sight of God. There's not a single individual in this room who will be standing before God one day and God will say, you did such a good job. Welcome to heaven. On the basis of your works, you can come on in. Not a single individual in this room nor any other worship center on this planet today or any day that humans have gathered. It is not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his grace. It is plainly stated in Scripture. Jesus is driving us to himself. 
All of the parables really point to him. He's bringing us back to himself. He's stirring up all of these old ideas that the people who fast twice a week, they're the ones that are going to heaven. And the folks who give their tenth of everything they have, they're the ones that are going to heaven. He's pushing against that. He's calling Matthew from behind his tax collector table and he's bringing him into the inner circle of his family. And he's going to Matthew's party and he's sitting down at the table with the publicans and the sinners and and the Pharisees are looking on and saying, what in the world is going on? And Jesus is saying, the ones who are whole don't need a physician. Only the ones who are sick. You know, I've not come to call righteous people, but sinners to repentance. What's he saying? The law should be telling you that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. If you really face the first commandment, which one of you would say, I've kept the first commandment perfectly for the last 24 hours. No other gods before him. Only him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Have you done it? Which of you would say, I have kept the 10th commandment perfectly. Thou shalt not covet. In the positive, love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you really hear and see the 10 commandments, you'll see the law leaves us helpless. It drives us to Christ himself for our salvation because we realize in light of the law, we can't do this. We can't do it perfectly. We can't live this way. It's it's not in us. We fail. We fall short. God, what am I to do given that I cannot keep your law, nor the first, nor the tenth, nor the ones in the middle in attitude, action, and thought? I am breaking these laws continually. What shall I do? And the law drives me to the Savior who saves me by dying in my place on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin, and that is called grace. Not because of who you are, not because of how good you have done, but because God loves you, and it is incomprehensible, but he loves you. And so he sent his son to save you from your sin. The Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin, your sin. And the law brings you to the Christ who alone can save. Bow with me, please. Now, the Lord of the Sabbath is in this room. He was the Lord of the fourth commandment, as he said, and also the Lord of all ten. For some of us, we need to plead with God that he would give us rest we know we need to sleep at night we know the anxieties of this life are robbing us of the rest that is essential some of us never unplug and we know we need to and some of us need to place our faith in Jesus and receive the grace that alone can save us Lord of the Sabbath, we call out to you. Help us see our need, our need of you beyond all things. 
Lord, for the tired, we pray for rest. Give us wisdom to know how to build it into our week. To those who trust in their own righteousness, we pray, God, help them see how they truly are, what their hearts truly look like. And in seeing their sin, then come to the Savior. Holy Spirit, do your work in us now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.